Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. Great to kick off the afternoon with your company here on the call between now and 1pm Eastern. We take a look at 10 stocks suggested by you. I put them to an expert panel for their adjudication and uh, we give you some guidance. And uh, today we're going to be joined shortly by Julia Lee from Berman Invest and also now Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader. Jason, how are you, sir? Um, stock of the day, I suppose the, the big one to talk about is the, is the Telstra result. What did you think of it? Hi, David. Yeah, yeah, look, I think it was a really, um, really solid result. It's a case of, look, I think it's really all about a case of the company delivering on what they, they said they've, they've been going to do. So if we go back to, to June 2018, they announced their Telstra 2022 initiative, or, or T22. And, and that was all about simplifying the operations and the products and, and reducing that cost base. And as of today's result, management have said that they're 80% of the way to either completing or on schedule to complete those all those initiatives. So I think that's a really, really big positive for the company. Okay. And we, Jason, just hold that the, thought the because we've got uh, Telstra Managing Director Andy Penn on the line uh, joining us. Andy, uh, welcome to the program and to Ausbiz. Um, markets loving this result. Um, share price up to a a two-year high as a result. Um, what were the highlights for you? Yeah, no, look, thanks very much, David. And I was just hearing Jason's comments as well. So thanks to, um, to Jason. I, I think, and Jason really put his finger on this, is that what we're able to demonstrate today is that we're at a turning point. Um, obviously, the transition to the NBN has been a major headwind for Telstra. Uh, we've been responding to that through T22 program, which is a radical simplification, as Jason mentioned and what we're able to point to today is our EBITDA in the second half of the year increased compared to the first half. We gave guidance for next year which implicitly puts EBITDA growth in the mid to high single digits. We delivered net net profit after tax increase of 3.4% and an earnings per share increase of 2% and that on the back of the strengthening the balance sheet that we've done, the setting up of our infrastructure assets, the deal we did recently on towers and also even the deal that we did this week where we bought Medical director sets us up for growth in the future. We'll yeah. be talking to the market more about that in the coming weeks. I think that's the thing that 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 has struck analysts is the confidence in next year. Like we're getting very little guidance for the next twelve months from any of the major corporates uh, at the moment. Your guidance really reflects the confidence you've got that you've been able to deliver on this structural reform within the business, despite what happens in the economy. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, we're, we're lucky, David. I mean, in that, uh, obviously, the nature of our services, they've, the last 12 or 18 months is, is highlighted and reinforced uh, the need for them. It doesn't mean to say, by the way, we've benefited financially. We've absorbed about $600 million worth of 
uh, EBITDA impacts as a consequence of, of COVID, but it has reinforced the criticality and the importance of connectivity. Um, and so, you know, we are as a conf we're confident about demand and we're confident that the steps that we've taken through the program that I've referred to, which is, you know, around simplification and digitization, uh, our cost out program, we've taken out $2.3 billion already, we'll be at $2.7 billion by the end of this year. All of those things give us confidence on that trajectory, which we guided to today. Yeah, yeah, certainly remote remote working plays into your sweet spot, doesn't it? That's for sure. We're all we're all using more data. And um, how important you you're nearly to the end of your four year T twenty two plan. Um, when you first announced it, the markets were going, Oh yeah, here we go, another plan. Uh, will Telstra deliver? And um, how important was it for you? to show to the markets, yes, this is a company you can depend on delivering what they promise? Oh, look, crucially important, Dave, you put your finger on it. I mean, in the end, uh, it's all about building trust. You're building trust with customers, with your people, and critically with your investors as well. And, and I found the investment community, if you can build trust and deliver for them, you know, they'll give you the support and the latitude to go and, you know, develop strategy and, and make investments. But you've got to be able to build that trust. And, and that's really what the T22 program is around is about. It's about doing what we said we would do and de delivering. Now, not everything's in your control. Of course, there's things that happen. COVID happened. Um, bushfires happen. They impact us. Um, but if you're delivering what you said you would deliver, then the market is, um, I think, incredibly supportive. Yep. You also mentioned you're seeing green, green shoots in some of our growth businesses. Um, which are the most important ones for you? Where where are the green shoots that are really focusing your attention? Well, the biggest engine of our business is clearly our mobiles business. That's been helped by virtue of the 5G accelerated rollout that we've been pursuing. We saw EBITDA in the year up 170 million in mobiles, but it, actually in the second half, it was up 290 million. So uh, that's been turning around. So that's been crucially important. Uh, our health business is... Uh, starting to become uh, you know, very strategically important. It's not big in the scale of Telstra, but strategically it's incredibly well positioned. And we've announced uh, two major acquisitions recently, Power Health and uh, Medical Director. Our network services, what we call, we call it Telstra Purple. It's really things, this is sort of stuff around cloud computing, computing cybersecurity, internet of things, those types of services for enterprise customers. That, that's an important part of our business. We're also, um, uh, we'll be formally launching our energy retail business soon because, you know, we're already in very many homes in Australia with our telco services and we find that, um, and we've got confidence that customers will happily buy their energy services from us. And so we've been doing a lot yep. of work on that over the last years. Uh, give us an update on the Digicel Pacific takeover. Is that is that important going forward? Well, I can't say too much more given the nature of the, the discussions, to be honest, um, David. But what I would say is that, um, uh, firstly, the discussions aren't complete uh, and it doesn't, therefore, uh, it's not certain that we will necessarily proceed. But if we do, it will have to meet key financial criteria, uh, will be the minority of the equity, we'll, we'll own the asset, but will be the minority of the financing. The rest of it is coming from other sources which are non-recourse uh, and will have appropriate risk protections um, 
in place. So uh, that's probably as much as I can say for them. Okay. All right. As one of Australia's biggest employers, uh, your view on workplace vaccinations, mandatory vaccination, do you, do you have a policy on that or a view on it? Yeah, certainly I have a view. Um, David, and firstly, I am absolutely pro-vaccination. Vaccinations have made our society the safer place that it is today, whether it's cholera or typhoid or tetanus or polio. Vaccinations are really an important part of the healthcare system. Uh, I don't think you can force any individual to have a vaccination, though, because obviously you need to take into account their individual medical circumstances. But there's no doubt there are people in the workforce, our workforce, such as people in our stores or field techs, that come into lots of contact with lots of different people every single day of the week. And it's important we make sure that they're safe and our customers are safe. So uh, we're working through the complexities of the, um, how we can give direction in that regard right now. And I've made a commitment that I will speak to our employees uh, when we've basically worked through that. And we're consulting with government on it as well at the same time. Okay, so you're looking to the government for a bit of guidance as well. You don't want to be stuck in this mire. <laughs> you want them to sort it out, don't you? Well, no, no, no I, that, I, I'm not saying that, David. I'm saying that they're an important stakeholder, as are uh, our employees, as are you know, yep. other people. So we're consulting. Uh, it's a complex landscape, as you know. There's privacy considerations, there's liability considerations. But yep. the most important thing is how do we get the best advice and the best health care and safety for our people and for our customers as quickly as possible. Yeah. Andy Penn, I know it's a big day on your calendar and you've got lots of ob obligations. Really appreciate your time and uh, here on Ausbiz. Thanks again. No, thanks for giving us a voice, David. Really appreciate it. Good on you. Andy Penn there, the uh, Managing Director of Telstra. Let's go back to Jason McIntosh at, uh, at Motion Trader. Um, Jason, pretty buoyant, Andy Penn. And uh, um, uh, just getting your thoughts on Telstra rebuilding their trust with analysts in the markets because I do remember what three years ago when they launched T22 everyone was going oh here we go again Telstra another big reorganization will they deliver it looks as though they are yeah it's um it's it's such a good point because so often we see and, and we hear companies coming out and not just companies could be government could be anyone we come out we hear these big plans for 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 the for the coming years and they make a headline and then their their you know time goes on and they're just quietly forgotten and we don't hear about it again so it's it's really good to see a plan that was initiated back in 2018 being talked about now in 2021 and seeing look we've got we're 80% of the way there i think it's great it builds a lot of credibility about what the company's doing who the company are so when they come out with these these um, uh, forecasts for EBITDA for the next next couple of years, you go well. Well, hey, they're they're big targets, but they're yep. but they've got a history of delivering. They've got a track record. So I like that. I like that a lot. So two and, year high on the share price today. Would you be buying Telstra shares? Yeah, it's um, look. It's it's a uh, this stock triggered my momentum indicators in. I think it was in. Um, Things around February at around three dollars twenty, and it's been trending nicely higher since then. And so, look, the trend is very much, very much up for this stock. And I think, uh, particularly with that share buyback they're doing, that I think that's yep. going to underpin the share price and help fuel the momentum over the coming months. All that said, when you four dollars is actually a bit of a bit of a key technical level for the stock. So if you you call up a chart of Telstra, pretty much since it listed, and you just look along that four dollar line, 
there's um, it's it often causes some sort of reaction to the the share price when when the shares hit four dollars. Sometimes the reaction may last for a few weeks or a couple of months or just a pause. Other times it's caused a complete reversal reversal in the in the trend like it did in 2019. I don't think we're going to see a, a trend reversal this time, but you know, there could be some turbulence around four dollars. We're not far; we're only like what, what oh. six cents or so. There from you go. That, that, that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you can see that 2019 high. Yeah. You go back even further to 1998, and you can still see that interaction with four dollars. Often happens around round numbers in in the stock market, individual stocks. So you'd and, wait and thought, uh, if it broke up through that and stayed there then that's a good sign. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Absolutely. And right. okay. it, it probably will. And you know, it, it may take or it may take a you know, few weeks to get through it. But you know, that, that's a great thing about technicals and charts. You can see that bigger picture view about where, yeah. where there's... Good point. Where things are happening on in, in a stock and four dollars for Telstra, I think we'll break above it and that'll be a great sign. I think for the coming months. Okay, uh, Julia Lee from Berman Investors uh, also been listening into Andy Penn. Um, Julia, what did you think of the the results and uh, and Telstra's share price at the moment? Yeah, I mean, over the last few years, um, you've had the chance to pick up Telstra sort of around the two sixty-five to two dollar eighty level and hold it till it gets to four dollars, and then it drops back off, and then you can pick it up again around two sixty to two eighty, and then it usually goes back up to four dollars. And I guess one of the things that has kept Telstra range bound is that there hasn't been a huge amount of business um, momentum there. But if we have a look at the update today, it's a very positive update, especially in terms of those mobile growth numbers. I mean, we, we haven't seen growth like this for the mobile division where we have seen revenue uh, per unit increasing since 2015. So that gives you an idea of how long it's been since we've really been excited by Telstra on the earnings side of the equation. So. The forecast today that we will see growth once again in the current financial year for underlying EBITDA as well as in FY23 means that Telstra is now in an up cycle. And we know at the end of the day, underpinning um, price momentum or the share price is earnings growth. And Telstra certainly delivered on that today in terms of the forecast. So it's just about meeting that now. And then add into the mix, the capital management, we knew that um, the unlocking of value through tower infrastructure would mean some of that those funds will be returned to shareholders. So about 50% of that will be returned to shareholders. So a nice on-market share buyback there, which should um, help to boost value as well. $4 is a key mark, um, but given the earnings momentum that now appears to be in the business, I'd expect it to break that $4 mark. Okay, so you've got it as a buy at these levels? Okay. Yes, it'd be a buy at these levels. Um, usually, you know, Telstra would be a sell around the $4 levels, but given yep. the update today and the forecast uh, yep. growth in both the current financial year as well as the next financial year, that should underpin strength in the share price. Yep, and uh, as we were talking about earlier, that, that confidence from the market that here's a company 
again building a reputation of delivering on what, what they promise can't be underestimated. All right, let's get into the 10 stocks that you want us to take a look at. Um, Julia, uh, Regis Healthcare is the, the, uh, the first on the list, aged care provider, um, um, residential, respite um, care, really a big group. Uh, recently saying that um, maybe they've got an, an issue with uh, possible underpayment of staff, which is muddying the waters a bit. What do you think of Regis? Look, aged care has been such a difficult place to be over the last few years, and the aged care commit, uh, Royal Commission hasn't helped, as well as the headlines around what's happened in some of the aged care centres with COVID-19. So if we have a look across uh, the last financial year, actually 80% of aged care centres were operating at a loss. Um, so it's been pretty difficult 12 to 18 months for aged care. The big question when you're investing in aged care is, is all the bad news out there? And then are we going to see incrementally positive news which should boost the share price? So are we at a, a bit of a turning point in terms of aged care? And Koshi, when I look at the aged care sector, I not only look at things like demographics um, with the aging population here in Australia, but I also look at property prices. And aged care does tend to have a strong correlation and a strong high to property prices and that's because usually when you enter into an aged care facility there's a deposit up front that you that you pay and rising house prices gives um, I guess people going into those aged care homes greater fit uh, facility to be able to pay that upfront deposit as well as the ongoing fees and it does tend to somewhat be tied to property prices somewhat so look I think the outlook is positive the last update that we saw from Regis was that occupancy was at about 88% I think that was at the 30th of June given the COVID headlines at the moment I'd say that there's probably upside as we come out of the COVID-19 situation so despite the negative headlines I think there could be better days in the next 12 to 20 four months ahead, especially with the government also flagging more spending in the aged care sector. Okay. All right, Jason, Regis? Yeah, yeah, Julia hit on a lot of the, you know, few, few, few of the points I was going to make. It's like it's just been a, you know, terrible environment for, for aged care really, hasn't it? You know, COVID, Royal Commissions, regulatory issues, it's like pretty much everything bad that could happen has, has happened. And, uh, and, and Regis has also said they've had rising uh, uh, wage pressures, which is, which is also like, you know, pressure their, their margins and, and profitability. But then you, you, that's all the bad stuff. So a lot of, I think a lot of, lot of the negativity is probably, sentiment's about as bad as it can probably get. A, lot's been, a lot of negativity has been priced into the market. Some of the interesting things happening is this, now we're seeing some mergers and acquisition activity in the sector. So Regis's uh, smaller competitor, Japara, is in the process of being taken over. And just last year, Regis itself, um, Sol Patterson put in a couple of non-binding proposals to take them over. And the, the highest price that got to was about $1.85, which is not far from where the price is now at around, around $2.00. The board rejected those. Said, "Look, it, it um, uh, what did they say? It materially undervalued the the company." And uh, so, look, I don't I don't think this is a, a standout stock, but I think I think a lot of the the bad news is factored in. And even if we just see sentiment start to return to just towards neutral, I think that puts upside potential on the share price. And look, they've also got um, they're, they're they're big property owners, which which Julia was mentioned. I think that's a that's a positive. And look, when I look at the, the charts for this stock, I can see, you can see there's a signs of an emerging uptrend. 
we got a good rally through October through to through to April. The share price over the last few months has been going sideways to lower. Uh, I don't I don't think there's a rush to to go in and buy today. I'd like to see some momentum kicking back in and maybe getting above that that high we saw a, a month or two ago. I think that'd be I think that'd be a trigger for me to 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 go in. But again, I'm not expecting. You know, huge upside potential on this, but look, given how far it's fallen over over recent years, it fell a long way. There's, okay. I think, there's definitely upside potential, just through uh, a lessening of all the negative sentiment. Okay, all right. So uh, put on your watch list. Um, yeah. Julia, Natalie wants a view on uh, Hazer. Um, Natalie said, Julia picked this as a life-changing stock. So I'd like to get her view <laughs> on this stock at these levels. It's had of a a uh, bit of a run-up since you crowned it. Um, it also has had a couple of announcements too, which have been pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, Koshi, when you asked me about a life-changing stock, I guess the problem with a question like that is that you have to take on an enormous amount of risk for yep. the potential upside to be there. So just by the nature of the question, you're looking at very speculative type of stocks. So Hazer, very small company out there, and the company that I chose to go with at the time was in the hydrogen area because we know that there's a massive push into clean energy. So that's likely to be a structural Push, but we're very early on in this journey. And when you're very early on, there's a lot of risk. I almost liken it uh, during the tech boom days. Not a lot of those technology companies are still out there, but some of them have emerged as big winners. So we don't know where the big winners from the clean energy shift and the hydrogen story is going to be. And to give you an idea, at the beginning of this year, there were more than 200 hydrogen projects out there. So there's certainly a lot of companies throughout the globe working on hydrogen projects, hoping to hit the jackpot when it comes to clean energy. If we have a look at Hazer, it is unique in terms of its process. It uses wastewater and then converts that into hydrogen and graphite. So graphite is a carbon component and hydrogen is, of course, what we use for energy. Um, so it's all about that clean energy process, but it is very early on in terms of uh, this particular company. And it is in the process of now building its first demonstration project. So um, that's obviously going to cost it some money. And at a time when labor costs are rising, we're just watching the cost side of the equation. And as always, with anything that's speculative, watching that cash burn, it's got about 20.6 million dollars worth of cash but i'd say that a capital raising would be likely as soon as it gets down uh, to to smaller numbers so look this is an, a purely speculative play one to put yep. a tiny bit of money and just uh, not look at for the next 10 years mm. um and that's because it's such an early uh, stage yep. type of company and you know hydrogen just by its nature is pretty early stage and that that was the premise of the whole exercise these were stocks that you know, you're the start of the very journey. You've got to give them 10 years and you've got to have a basket of them as well because it's, it's like investing in, in startups. You know, out of five, if you get one or two that do really well, terrific. They usually shoot the lights out, but then you get three that don't go anywhere and do anything. So that was the whole premise behind the exercise, which was interesting. Yes. So I mean, don't hold Julia to, you know to this. <laughs> It's very exciting because Aussies like a punt, but that's yep. what, exactly what it is. It's a yep. punt, which hopefully will pay off, but not your whole, hopefully, lifetime savings are going no, into No, exactly haven. right. It is. It's your, it is your sort of TAB money, um, if you like, and uh, you could be part of something big or you might do your dough. 
Uh, Jason, have you got a view on uh, Hazer? Yeah, look, I think this whole decarbonisation trend, look, it's really gaining momentum. And I think this opens enormous potential for, for companies that, that, you know, are developing technologies and, and processes to, you know, to work with this decarbonisation theme. And, you know, Hazer's right in there with that, that sort of um, positioning. It, uh, this stock, it actually turned up in my momentum scans in September last year, back at mm -hmm. around 45, 50 cents. And and this is a this is a, the the fantastic thing with with momentum is that when you look behind what's causing momentum in a stock, it can it can throw up some really interesting ideas and really interesting stories. And you know, Hayes is, is a prime example. So you know, my approach isn't isn't long term. I'm not looking for stocks to hold for the next ten years. It's about looking for stocks with strong potential maybe over the next one to two years. So I'll ride a trend up and then yep. I'll jump off when it turns down. And that's what I did with Hazer. Hit my exit stop in April at a dollar ten. I got out, but I've been watching it since. It's been it's been like you know drifting drifting lower. The trend you would say now is down, so it's not one which I'd which I'd look to invest in right at this very point in time. But look, it's got it's got a a really good story. They can execute on their plans. I think it's got you know great upside potential over the next next few years. And uh, but look, you just look at what's happening with them now. They've got cost overruns in their demonstration plant in WA. And look, these things these things happen. Nothing nothing happens quickly. Things take longer than than you would expect. And but look, I think the the key now is to to watch the share price action and watch for 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 a turn that trend. We could bottom around somewhere around here possibly, but it also could keep drifting sideways. Right. You know, if it was race eight out at Randwick, I might say, look, you know, go in and have a have a punt now. But um, but yep. yeah, I'd, I'd prefer just to wait okay. for this one. I like it but watch it and wait for the upward momentum to return to the share price. And then I think it's a good good speculative position to, to take on. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Jason Mario wants a view on base resources. They're a mineral sands uh, producer and developer with two operations, one in Kenya and one in Madagascar. Yeah, about a $330 million market cap company. And... Um, so they, they, they mine its uh, aluminite, rutile and, and zircon. They're, they're the, the, the three main, main mineral sands they, they're, they're digging up. And all three have been in, been in you know, broad upward trends over the last five years. So they've got, got products which are increasing in value, which is, you know, that's a, that's a you know, real positive. And when you look at, the, look at this stock from the surface, you go, well, look, it's got, um, it's got a market cap of $330 million, $71 million in the bank. They've got no cash. And the last two dividend payments put it on a yield of 22%, which is you know, just quite extraordinary. But you know, there are a few other things going on which, uh, which possibly explain this. And you know, firstly, the production from their, their Kenyan operation has been falling. So I suspect this is due to, due to mine life. I think it's probably like you know, the mine life is, is somewhat limited. And they're talking about mine expansion opportunities and exploration. But this may or may not come off. So a lot seems to be hinging on this project they have in Madagascar. So the company says that you know this it's this world-class project, 33-year mine life. The problem is that the government has told them to suspend operations, and they did this back in November 2019. And so what that's all about is that they um, they, they need to come to, to to fiscal terms with the with the government, with the Madagascan government, which hasn't hasn't happened yet. 
So there's there's no signs that this isn't going to go ahead. But it, look, it just brings uncertainty to the to the table with this stock. We don't you know we don't know exactly what's going to be happening there. And so look, I'll be guided by the price action on this one. It's um, the management saying that if they get the when they get a deal with the the government, still 11 months before a final investment decision, then it's 26 months after that before they do their first shipments. Yeah. So look, there's a lot of work to be done. The you know I'll look at the, the the share price on on this one, and it's look it's it's really just been you know grinding sideways for the last for the last few months. It's not doing anything in a hurry. So I don't think there's a hurry to get involved. Okay. Interesting, perhaps, to watch, but for now, it's um, yeah, it, it'd no. be a pass for me. Okay, uh, Julia. The reason why I think mineral sands miners have been doing really well is because we've seen Rio Tinto um, shutting down its Richards Bay project over in South Africa because of violence. So that's taken a lot of the supply out of the market, which of course means that prices have been rising. So if you're producing right now, it's a great place to be. The biggest risk is, of course, that Rio Tinto manages to get that mine back online and that supply hits the market at again so i think a big place to be watching is south africa and the violence that has been happening over the years but particularly now um, with rio tinto taking that production offline and um and declaring force majeure at their uh, richards bay project now if we have a look at mineral sands um you know this is used for the white pigment in things like paint it's used in things mm. like ceramics so you're really looking at a strong um, driver of housing uh, coming through for things like mineral sands and of course housing has been on a boom we've heard from james hardy this week um, and look I'd probably prefer to be with Aluka, which uh, has a lot more production going on, whereas uh, this particular yeah. company-based resources, its Kuala mine is coming to the end of its mine life, which does mean it needs to get a move on in Madagascar to replace uh, that production that it has been making. So, look, base resources, it's in the right place at the right time, but, you know, coming to the end of mine life and having to start up a new mine, probably too high risk. If I was to look at mineral sands at the moment, I'd go with someone who's producing while that Richards Bay project is closed, and my pick there probably would be Iluka. Okay, all right. Um, Julia, Caitlin wants a view on uh, Miso Blast, the... One of the, basically, it's a med tech in technology for inflammatory diseases, uh, cellular medicines. It's one of those stocks you either love or hate on the market. (laughs) Well, we used to love it. We loved it last year in the last quarter and it was coming up with three major catalysts. And you think that one of them would be able to get through the FDA. But all three managed to fall flat. So unfortunately, the outlook for Mesoblast is not looking crash hot. It means that you probably have to do some of those phase three trials again. So you're looking at another year to a couple of years uh, on those phase three trials. And of course, when you're in that research and development stage, you're burning cash as well. Not only that, we've recently heard that its chief financial officer will be leaving. Not a good look um, when it's been through the amount of turmoil that it has. So you've probably got another capital raising on the cards uh, over the next 12 to 18 months unless it manages to do another deal. Um, I guess back pain is where we're watching uh, Misoblast's stem cells potentially being used. There's a meeting with the FDA that it was looking at. But, you know, the reason why we were in the stock last year were those three major catalysts with potential commercialization this year. And when that was knocked over, we got out of the stock. Yep. So a known Mesa blast. Yep, Jason. Um, and on that one year chart, you can see exactly when they didn't get FDA approval on the 
chart go, goes down, falls off a cliff. And that's the issue with some of these stocks, isn't it? It's very much depended on those, uh, those binary decisions. Yeah, it's um, it's I, th I find this a really difficult stock to to manage risk in because it's so much so much is hinging on, on on these the uncertainty around these these trials and what um, what approvals or what what results they get, and when you get a stock that falls forty percent overnight and it's done that twice just this year, and then you look at the previous year and was also having these giant jumps overnight, which is all all great. Everyone likes that, but. But the problem with this stock is that it also gaps lower in, in you know, mm. just just as quickly. And how do you manage how do you manage your risk around that? Like, well, you can have it have it as a small part as a broader portfolio. That's one way. But in terms of like having an exit strategy for that stock stock, it's it's really difficult. So you know, I don't I don't like it from that that perspective. Um, look, their, their lead product is this is called Remy Stem Cell. And it, it's, look, it's a really interesting product. It's doing stuff around you know, inflammation and um, uh, they've been doing trials around where, where it can help after bone marrow transplants. And, and they're doing some interesting work with um, anti, um, what is it? It's to do with um, um, respiratory issues yep. with, with COVID. There's some testing around that. And they've got a, an agreement with, um, Novartis. So if they can get approval for this product, Novartis are going to produce it and um, and uh, develop and manufacture it. So that's all good. But it's all again, it's all hinging on these these approvals. Looking at the share price, the the look the, the trend's down at the moment. It's um, so with the downtrend, the unpredictability of these uh, th these trials that they're doing, it's just I think it's just too hard. Okay. I, I think there's yep. probably better opportunities elsewhere. All right, let's move on to uh, Min, who wants a, uh, a view. Uh, Jason uh, Magnus uh, Energy Technologies. Uh, Min says share price up 50% recently in a week on two announcements. John Hancock, Gina Reinhardt's son, um, Lang Hancock's uh, uh, son investing 10, um, grandson investing $10 million uh, in the business and also a progress report on its uh, new factory in New York. What do you think of Magnus? Yeah, really interesting company. It's got a market cap of about $400 million. It, um, look, it's another one of examples of these emerging, com emerging companies looking to ride this decarbonisation trend. And, you know, we spoke about, about Hazar earlier, and there's, you know, lots of potential upside in these stocks if they can successfully develop their technologies and, and roll them out and execute on their plans. So, yeah, Matt... Magnus is all about uh, lithium-ion battery cells. And, and what makes it interesting is they're not just planning on producing the batteries. They've also got a world-class graphite deposit in Tanzania. And, of course, graphite is a, you know, is a, is a key input to the, the lithium-ion batteries. And uh, they've also got, got about a 10% interest in a company called Charge CCCV. Now... This company's focuses on the technology to produce faster charging battery cells. Yep. And of course, this is like a, you know, a key part of getting the whole electric vehicle um, development and, um, and, and mainstream uptake to, to happen. And uh, look, they, they say they can produce a, a higher voltage, long life battery. And they've got um, a US research firm, which has verified they've got some of the greenest greenest batteries on the market. So that's that's a big ESG tick. So that's that's good for a company which is like looking to use these decarbonisation technologies. 
And uh, look, they've got this battery plant under construction in New York. Yep. They're saying that they'll be ready for, for fully automated production by the first half of 22. Yep. Um, they've already got, got sales agreements in place. So they've got binding sales agreements for around 750 million US and they've yep. just signed a US government agency to a deal for $74 million over four years. So, so what do you reckon? Yes, not, yes, a buy on it? It's um, look. I, I think I think as part of a part of a speculative portfolio, I think I think it stacks up. What's been interesting with the share price action just in the last few months is we've had some big up days, and those big up days have been accompanied by a, by a lot of volume, and so that that says to me that that there's someone looking at this uh, company closely and they're interested in it and they're pushing the price higher. So look, as as part of a speculation, I think you could you okay. could buy this stock. I think it's got asymmetric risk reward. You could like, for example, have a a thirty percent you know risk on it with hundred percent plus upside. Right. So that's the sort of dynamics you want in these these um you okay. know th these speculative plays. Um, right. High risk, but yeah, look, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's right. worth worth a go. Julia. Yeah, I think it looks interesting as well here. Um, the, the part I like about it is there's lots of companies working on different green technologies, but the, the fact that they have been winning contracts. So back in May was about $650 million. And then recently they've uh, won another one, $74 million over four years. So if we keep on seeing those contract wins coming through, then that will build that sales momentum and that, that will also build value in terms of the company. So we'll see that share price being uh, well supported and going upwards and onwards. Um, but it is highly early stage speculative. But the reason why I'm really interested in this one is more the, the, the cash flow starting to, to come through. So I think that's an exciting stage um, of a company. And of course, in terms of share price action as well. And usually when you start to see those contract wins from virtually nothing to be building, um, yep. You know, you're, you're going to see strong growth for a while there. So it looks speculative, but a yes from me. Okay. All right. Let's just recap uh, quickly our first five uh, stocks. Um, Telstra, uh, yes from Julia. Jason, if it breaks above $4 and stays there, yes, he would look at it then, but not quite at the moment. He wants to see oh, that look, I'd call David, I'd call that a buy now too. Uh, buy now. Okay. All right. Um <laughs> Uh, Regis is uh, a yes from Julia, a not yet from Jason. Hazer, speculative long-term from, uh, from Julia, speculative long-term, um, a no from, uh, from Jason. Base resources, a no from both in the Mineral Sands area. Uh, Julia likes a Luca. Uh, Miso Blast, a no. And Magnus Energy is a speculative buy from both Jason and Julia. Uh, here at the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. Any stock like, like Telstra and Magnus that get a thumbs up from our panel, uh, from both of them, goes into the portfolio. Let's see how it's been going. Up uh, about a third of a percent for the week, three and a quarter percent for the last month, and since the 1st of July this year. Um, so uh, last month, up almost 3%. Some of the stocks recently added, Raise, Invest, BHP, Nick Scarley, Sydney Airport and Osco Healthcare. Uh, some of the stocks uh, removed the uh, beta shares, Asia Technology ETF, uh, Evolution Mining and Premium. You can take a look at all these stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. 
Um, let's get into our second five stocks. We'll need to uh, pick up the pace here, guys, because we took a bit of time talking to Andy at the uh, the top of the show. Uh, Julia Mitchell wants a view on Blue Chip. Uh, Mitchell says, seems to be across some diverse sectors, healthcare, life science, security, defence and manufacturing. Could this have good potential over the long term? It basically sells a tracking technology, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's looking at samples at controlled temperatures. So it, it works across different sectors. Um, very small company, so $20 million market capitalization. It's probably a no from me here. It's still um, not making any, any money. And I guess if we have a look at how much money it has in terms of the bank, it's got about $5 million cash. But a lot of that comes from a recent settlement that it ha has done, which means that it's got about $1.6 million through that settlement. Um, and it's got cash burn of about $500,000 a quarter. So look, probably not one that I like because of the size, the amount of cash burn. Um, it's not making any money, so a no from me. Yep, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I can probably keep this one pretty short and sweet too. It's look, it's been around since 2003, been listed since 2011, so it's not like it's just a startup and it's gaining momentum. It's you know it's had a, had a good runway, um, but look, it's um, my investment process is all about investing in the direction of the trend, investing into uptrends, and the the trend with this one, it's it's clearly down, and that's not to say that it can't change direction and it won't, but. For me, it, I've got to wait to see that momentum before before getting in. It's not about preempting the turn. It's about about you know seeing it and then then getting in. So without with the you know the, the fundamental story doesn't doesn't interesting product, but you know the market's not seeing it as a breakthrough product and it's okay. not pushing the share price. So look, I think it's um for me at this point it's uh, it's a pass. Okay, uh, Jason Alistair wants a view on Net Wealth. Uh, they provide a platform for financial planners and financial services industry to uh, offer managed funds and direct portfolio uh, services. We've got two companies that are like financial platforms for professionals, investors to use uh, back to back here. So first one, Net Wealth um, has had a had a pretty good run over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, no, it certainly has. I really like the company. I think it's a good good company. The problem for me comes down to the the pricing. It's on a PE somewhere in the in in the 60s, so it's really pricing in a lot more success and a lot more a lot more growth to come. You know, funds under under administration they've been growing strongly. They're up in June to I think 47 billion dollars, and that's a rise of 12% for the quarter, 49% to the corresponding period. So, and that that's like a combination of market gains, like just naturally increasing the um, the funds under administration, but also new inflows as well. So it's um, they're getting some good traction, and they're growing growing faster than their competitors. So their net fund inflow was uh, the strongest across all the platforms, and that put them sixth overall in terms of market share. So they've got a, a 4.6% market share. And it appears they're picking up a lot of business from the likes of IWF and AMP, and also to the lesser extent CBA and and Westpac. And it's also interesting to see Hub 24 was second on the fastest growing list. So I think if you shift towards, or if you shift away from some of those those big name platforms, continues into these these new emerging players, I think there's plenty more upside and plenty more growth in the company. But look, with um, you know they're Net profit after tax 
for the last half was $27 million and it's a $3.9 billion company. So that yep. makes the valuation just seem a bit bit rich for me. And, and looking at the charts, I think that the the shares, look, they, they've tripled from the, the lows last year. They're even, they're up, they've doubled from the pre-COVID levels as well. So they've had a big run. They've been moving sideways to lows since October. So I think from a risk reward perspective, probably not a standout for me at the okay. moment. Like right. the company, don't like the pricing. All right, Julia? Yes, from me, this is a company that's still growing um, and growing strongly. Funds on their administration is rising. And it has been one of those companies that has been in the right place at the right time where we have seen, you know, financial planners leaving the big four banks as well as AMP, IOOF and going independent. Um, so it's really an investment platform that financial planners use, self-managed super funds use, individuals use. Um, and, you know, we have seen on the platform side that costs have been falling, um, you know, Kosh, you know I love a chat. So whenever I've, I do presentations to financial planners, one of the key questions I ask is what platform that they use and whether they like it or not. And over the years, the number one response has been net wealth, um, and they mm. love it. They, yeah. they say that life's made much easier, and I guess that's reflected in the numbers. Um, so whether you're looking at net wealth, Hub24, Premium, these are all companies that are growing. But in the end, I guess it's uh, the rate of adoption, how much, how sticky the product is with financial planners, which will ultimately um, tell you what the growth rate should be like. I guess with all of these platforms as well, a significant part of revenue does also come from cash that's just sitting in bank accounts um, or accounts on the platform, which means that they're able to get interest or a bit of the interest from those uh, deposits. Um, but of course, in a very low interest rate environment, as we're seeing at the moment, that component of revenue has been uh, falling. It, of course, will reverse when interest rates start rising again. So this is one that is also linked to interest rates. Um, and over the next 24 months, as interest rates start to rise, you should see some of these platforms also benefit, benefiting. Okay. I also love this story. It's a father and son team, ultimately, at the end of the day, Michael and Matt. And I think they've just done a fantastic job yep. of building this business throughout um, Australia. Um, so, look, it's a yes from me. Yeah, it is. Um, they're a great family. My father used to work for them uh, years ago because they're, they're a big trading family. Um, and Dad used to trade coal around the world, and they were a big commodities trader uh, years ago. And this, I think, is um, uh, Matt's side hustle um, that's turned into a big part of the family. And Michael, the dad said, okay, I'll back you in. And boy, have they, they turned it around. <laughs> the original Heine uh, came out from Eastern Europe as a butcher. Just a bit of history there. Anyhow, oh, wow. I, I love good, family good empires and the colour and where they come from. They're, they're a great family. Um, Julia, what, have you, what do you think of Link Administration, another platform business, mainly in the, the superannuation area? Peter wants a view on it. Peter's a bit disparaging about management at Link that they, uh, they haven't really passed on any shareholder value. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of disappointment around how PEXA has played out, that they're yes. looking at spinning that off rather than selling it off to the highest bidder. Um, so I guess this one's still very much a value play given where the share price is. But if we have a look at some of the other companies in this area, um, mainstream seen a massive uh, takeover bid. There's been private equity interest coming through. And of course, just recently, we've seen Iris coming out with yet another bid in this space. So look, I think Link does look interesting. I, I should disclose 
that Berman Invest uses Link as uh, for its fund uh, fund accounting registry as well as as its custodian. So really offering those fund services, um, and of course uh, unlocking that value in Pexa as well, which which is on the property side. Okay, so a yes or a no? Yes, as a value play. Yes. Okay, as a value play, Jason. Yeah, the, um, so, so what PEXA is, PEXA is an electronic conveyancing company and uh, about 80% of real estate transactions in Australia have done through PEXA. So I thought it was, um, it's, it, look, it's a really interesting growth story. And I think management, I thought they played it quite well in, in, in floating it off rather than trying to, trying to sell it from within because you had the private equity players yep. looking, at, looking at Link. Uh, with an eye on, on PEXA. So what they've done, they've separated PEXA out. They still own, I think it's around 42%. Link's got a 42% stake in PEXA. So they've got that potential to, like if, if private equity want to have a go at PEXA, they've got a good seat at the table, but then they also have their underlying business, which they, they, you know, they still control. So I thought, I thought it was kind of a good way to, good way to do it. Um, looking at the, the charts, Link's had a pretty, look, it's had a pretty rough few years. Um, leading into last year's low, but there's some early signs. There's a bit of a recovery underway. Mm. Uh, look, I'd like to see a little bit more momentum in the share price before before stepping in. Look, it'd yep. only take a move through, say, $5.20, and I'd, I'd be interested. I just want to okay. see that momentum start. At the moment, it's sort of like preempting the momentum at, at around sure. $5, because from here, we could, could continue to drift sideways, could pull back. Don't know. Break above 5.20. I think that gives it the momentum and the reason to, to step in. Right. So at the moment, it's a wait, but it's but it's not far off. Not far okay. off of potential buying. All right. Uh, two stocks in five minutes. We've got to get through. Um, Liam wants a view. Jason on Cube, the uh, logistic solutions uh, business. Is this sort of a, uh, it's in the, the wise tech sector, isn't it? Logistics management. Yeah, look, the, the, the first thing I... I look at when I'm checking out a company is the chart. I want to see what it's what it looks like there. And when I look at Cube, I see a stock that that's really been struggling to gain momentum since probably around November, and and it's been underperforming the market. The price action looks quite heavy. There's also been a pullback over the last couple of months of taking the shares below their 50 and 100 day moving averages. And as as we've spoken about in the past, I'm not a fan of buying the dip because you never know how deep the dip's going to be. So I'd much rather buy into momentum, have the trend on my side. So against that backdrop, looking at the fundamentals, it also seems a bit pricey. PEs up around 60, dividends below 2%. And as a big logistics, logistics business, I'm just not sure where the growth is going to come from okay. to justify that sort of price level. Right. So for, for me, they've got good assets and a strong balance sheet, but you know the, the trend's doing nothing exciting. The pricing looks 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 look he looks hefty. So I'm a pass. No, for you. Yep, Julia. Neutral for me. I mean, this is a transportation company, so you're looking at shipping. They've got a train network as well and a, a truck network. network. Um, so ultimately, it's just a derivative of what's happening in terms of the economy. Um, if you had asked me, you know, two months ago, I would have said definitely yes. The Australian economy was bouncing back really strongly. Right. Grain prices strong, commodity prices strong. Yep. All these things need to be shipped out or in. Um, but at the moment, everything's at a standstill. So, look, the outlook um, is uncertain given that we don't know how long lockdown is going to last for. But once we come out of lockdown, it really depends on whether we're still seeing that strength in uh, both soft as well as hard commodity prices and how quickly we see the bounce back in terms of the economy. So probably neutral here. Okay. 
And our final stop, Julia. Jasmine wants a view on Universal Store. Has around 66 stores currently. Does the panel think it has some upside? I, I noticed they're, they're shooting for, for 100 stores. Uh, the retailer is uh, in that sort of streetwear, the younger end of the market. Yeah, I mean, the magic combination when it comes to retailers is a combination of new stores together with same store sales growth. So what you're seeing is growth in terms of sales in each store, and then you're rolling out new stores. And that increases the valuation of the business really quickly. I like that Universal is still at the beginning sort of at its life cycle. So a lot of the growth is ahead of it. Obviously, with lockdown at the moment, uh, it would be impacting on sales, but they do have online sales. And, you know, one of the things that I bought from Universal was sort of sweaters and sweatpants. And I have to tell you, Koshi, during lockdown, I, I, <laughs> I admit, I confess, I uh, bought a few tracky ducks and sweatshirts. It's been a cold winter. Um, so, look, I think it's got a good growth runway ahead of it. Obviously, if you're looking at now, lockdowns would be having an impact. But if you're looking at the next two to five years, a yes from me. Okay. Jason? Yeah, so they're focused on millennial and um, and uh, Gen Z with the what what they're doing, and it's only been listed since November. It's been around for a bit longer than that, but you know, the listing was in November and not much price history. But what we've seen has been it's been pretty impressive. So it went from four dollars twenty five up to eight dollars twenty five in just five months. So that's uh, that's about as impressive stock gains as you get. It's now inside the the all ordinaries. It's pulled back to around seven dollars now. And I think one of the things which they're doing, um, which is which is interesting, which is maybe a little bit different, is the way that they're um, using real-time data to drive their stock purchases. So it's about so I think a lot of retailers will will buy stock maybe nine months out. Yeah. And the problem is that time passes, the fashion might change, and they're left with stock that then sell at a, a big discount and affects their margins. So what Universal is doing is they're they're using technology to um, Oh, to, to, to reorder multiple times and yeah. sort of reduce the amount of stock they're, they're holding so they stay on trend with so what's, take what's out popular. The Zara model. Which is, yep. Yeah, look, Quick that's important of with stock. This, this. Yep. All right, what, what do you think? Are you interested in it? Yeah, look, I think... Um, yeah, I am. I think I think think it's good. I like like the growth they're getting. They're getting their, 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 their stores there, as you were saying, up to 100 stores and over. That's all happening, and that's showing through in the revenue. Their revenue is increasing. Good to see that their revenue is increasing quicker than their stores are increasing. So they're you know they're getting you know real good growth in the in the business. The whole thing comes down to when do you buy. So you know as we know, I'm not a buy the dip person. We're dipping at the moment. The share price is just starting to nudge down below the the 1500 day moving averages. So I don't want to preempt the low because we don't know like okay. how's COVID is COVID going to have an impact on yep. on how how their rollout goes, don't know. So I don't want to preempt that. I think if we can see the momentum come back into the share price, then I'm happy to go with the with the, the growth story, and back it and see whether it runs. Okay. But but just but, wait yeah, for a while we know, to see. Could pull back to, to six dollars. So let's just wait and see see okay. how it, how this pullback develops, and then maybe buy. All right, thank you, gang. Uh, great effort. We got through them all after that fairly long <laughs> catch up with Andy Penn from Telstra, but I thought that was important. Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Always great to have you on the show and also Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader. Good on you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Koshi. All right. Let's recap the final five stocks. A no on blue chip. Uh, Net wealth, a yes from Julia, a no from, uh, uh, from Jason. Link, yes as a value trade from Julia. 
Uh, Jason saying if it gets up above that 520 mark, he'd be interested. Uh, Cuba hold from Julia, no from Jason. And uh, Universal Stores, a yes from Julia, uh, not quite yet from Jason. So uh, from today, uh, Telstra and also Magnus Energy go into the calls portfolio. If you'd like us to cover any stocks that you're interested in, put them in an email, thecall at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.